Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to the Vault Podcast, classic music reviews, presented by IV Creative. Now, here's your hosts, B. Cox and the crew. Greetings and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Vault Podcast, classic music reviews, presented by IV Creative. It's a perspective of the classics from a fresh point of view. We appreciate you for taking your time and lending your ears to our perspective you could be anywhere listening to anything, but you're right here with us, so we thank you. With you today is yours truly, B. Cox, and want to give a shout out to all the listeners out there stateside and worldwide for continuing to support the show. Guys, we can't thank you enough for continuing to stick with us. Make sure that you are supporting us and heading to the website, that's vaultclassicpod.com. Once again, that's vaultclassicpod.com. You go there, check out the website, check out all of our past interviews. Also check out all the past episodes and reviews that we've done. You can go to our guest page, see a profile on all the guests that we've had on the Vault Classic Music Reviews podcast as well. You can also go to our merchandise shop and check out all the great merchandise we have for the podcast. We're talking about t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, tumblers, keychains, cell phone covers, all that, the whole nine, anything you can think of. Go to, of course, the vaultclassicpod.com. Go there to get to all of our social media channels. And you can also get to our Buy Me A Coffee page where you can monetarily support the show with a very small donation of appreciation to help us keep the vault open for many years to come. Once again, that's vaultclassicpod.com, vaultclassicpod.com. Want to welcome you all to the summertime. And of course, it is June. And in June, we celebrate Caribbean American Heritage Month. And we have a very special bonus episode here today where we're going to be talking about a very special subject. 20 years ago, an explosion in this country happened commercially for the reggae music genre. It was an explosion that we hadn't seen. And for those of us who were hardcore lovers of the genre, it was an explosion that we saw coming. Some would say over a five, maybe even a 10 year period. And that was an explosion that led to the emergence of many artists such as Sean Paul, further exposure to legends like Beanie Man, Buju Bantan, also Bounty Killer, and you saw the rise of groups of T.O.K., and also other Caribbean acts such as Rupi, Denise Belfon, Allison Hines, and Kevin Little also benefited from this as well. So, to talk about this reggae summer of 03, we brought in a very special guest from the Regular Lover Podcast. Our brethren of the show, Khalil Wonder of Highlander Sound System and Regular Lover Podcast, came here to chop it up with us a little bit during this Caribbean American Heritage Month to talk a little bit about that reggae summer of 03. We had a nice conversation, and here's how it went. And joining me here for this very special bonus episode, as we mentioned before, we are celebrating Caribbean American Heritage Month here on the Vault Classic Music Reviews podcast. None other than a brethren of the show, Khalil Wanda of the Regular Lovers podcast and Highlander Sound System. You all know them well. You've heard him on many reviews here. Capleton's More Fire, Bougie Banton Till Shiloh, Supercat. Don Dada, you know him well. You know he knows his things. We wanted to talk about reggae music, and we wanted to bring on the experts. So, you know, Khalil Wonder, make sure y'all go and check out the Regular Lover Podcast. Ten seasons strong they had, so make sure y'all go check that out. Regular Lover Podcast with him and his partner, Agard, talking all the great things about reggae music, reggae culture, sound system culture. Make sure y'all go check that out, man. But we welcome Khalil Wonder once again back to the podcast, man. Thank you so much for joining us, sir. Yes, I... Give thanks, man. Glad yes, to be here. You yes, know what I'm saying? It's, it's been a minute. You know, yes. last time I was like a, a guest, you know, it was just audio only. So, you know what yeah. I mean? Things I step up right now. So, yeah, yeah, man. It's a man, good elevate, look. Man, elevate the things, man. Elevate <laughs> the things. Yeah. It's a good look, yo. Give yeah. thanks. So I wanted to bring you on to talk about this topic. And this year in the vault, we are covering music from the years 1993, 1998, and 03. Lots of great music to cover from those years, hip-hop-wise. We've talked about the albums, the ones we'll be covering, the 36 Chambers, the Doggy Styles, the Midnight Marauders, the 93s Till Infinities, the DMX's as Dark as Hell is Hot, the last one we did, the Equemnize, the Hard Knock Life Volume 2. 
the miseducations of Lauren Hills and then oh three get rich and die trying and the black album and so many other R&B albums that I could sit here and name, but mm-hmm. namely in 2003, something happened on the scene when it came to reggae music. That was something that was unlike anything that I had seen for a genre of any Caribbean music crossover in my lifetime. And it was something that I wanted to talk about since we were celebrating this 20 years later, because that was really my first year of officially being outside. In 2003, that was the year I turned 21. I was experiencing the party, the club lifestyle. I was really enveloping the Caribbean lifestyle as an adult who could now also then partake in alcohol legally. So that helped to enhance the whole experience around reggae music in 03. So we talk about this and I call it the red hot reggae summer of 03. And we're going to go right into it and talk about uh, what happened in 2003. But before we get into that, Khalil, you with Highlander Sound System, you were a selector, a DJ for those of you all, of course, who are not in tune with the terms. So you specialized, of course, in playing reggae music everywhere. And you DJed in a lot of places. Around this time in 03, I mean, you're actively DJing and selecting at this time. So just describe, I guess, sort of the scene, what things were like around at that time in 03 when this sort of explosion of crossover between reggae and the mainstream happened. Yeah, for sure. For sure. 2003 was a very fun year. It was a fantastic year. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That year, you know, my sound Highlander had come off of doing like, we were doing consecutive residencies in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. from like 2000, 2001, 2002, and 2003. So, you know, we had like about four residencies, at, you know, two hotspots in Buckhead and two in Midtown. Mm-hmm. So it was very busy. My most prominent memory of that year is from Carnival. It was, you know, around this time of year in Atlanta, mm-hmm. May, on Memorial Day. Mm-hmm is the you know caribbean carnival in atlanta and you know we played on one of the trucks in the parade that year Mm. but we also played um at a spot called the royal peacock all my atl people familiar you know that's like a historic club in in georgia but yeah then we played there uh the night of like before the parade and that's when the diwali rhythm had just come out Mm. (laughs) so we i literally went to the record store that day earlier and picked up the complete rhythm like on 45 mm, okay you know what i'm saying so i had a little box that you know we played and we saved it yeah now i'm remembering that, that night was a night called church and flatbush it was a throwback kind of new york themed reggae party mm-hmm. so you know we started off with you know early 90s and 80s and you know the classics but yes. towards the end of the night i'm talking somewhere yeah. between 4 and 6 a.m Mm-hmm. You know, I took out this box of Diwali on um, 45s and started playing them. And um, yeah. that was the dancing era. So there was a dance crew in the on the floor dominating, you know, at oh, that yeah. time. Oh, yeah. And um, <laughs> shouts out to Pop-Off crew, Kodak and the crew. Played the rhythm, played the bounty killer on the rhythm. And, yo, mm. it got like six forwards in a row. It oh yeah, like, it was it was crazy. That was that sufferer, right? About to kill yeah, him. Yeah, born as a sufferer, grown as a sufferer, survive as a sufferer. Oh man! So yeah. for the dance hall, that was the biggest song. That was the hardcore, you know. what I'm saying dance hall. That was the song on the rhythm. But mm-hmm. you know, as we'll we'll get to, you know, all the crossover yeah. stuff and everything that oh, took man. place after that. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, crossover wise, yeah, I'll be a big uh, proponent of this conversation. In 2003, as I mentioned, this was my first when I turned 21. And so as I'm in college during that semester, and this is spring of 2003 at Morgan in Baltimore, and I'm seeing like how I always wanted to see how like the last few parties of the semester would be to get a barometer of what the party scene is going to be like when I go home. So those last three to four parties heading into the end of that semester were getting ready to have finals. I noticed the tenor was... It went up a notch and it went up a notch because of the presence of reggae music, not just like in rooms, not just in floors. It was actually a presence on the main floor. And it wasn't just certain people dancing and partying to it. It was everybody. So that surprised me how quickly it caught on. So I go home and then we're building up. And so DC Carnival season, as you mentioned with Atlanta, it starts Memorial Day weekend with us. 
it's usually the last full weekend in June. And so we're leading up to the launch okay. of DC Carnival. All these bands, the sounds that are there that have traveled from New York and traveled from Miami and Toronto and anywhere else in, that come up for DC Carnival, the promoters that are promoting all these concerts and parties, they're coming up. And like, you know, we're going into the season. You see the buildup start to happen. I always associated the start of DC Carnival and knew that that was the time for me to go get reggae gold. At least that's what my sisters did early in the days was to go get reggae and soca gold. And so leading up to that point, we're coming off of a year where the previous year, obviously, there was the beginning of this. And I can even go even further than that, where Sean Paul has his breakout, you know, where eventually, you know, Give Me the Light was big then the year before. Reggae gold 2002 was crazy. So, so many of us. But then we get the D.C. Carnival and they move D.C. Carnival from where it was on Georgia Avenue, right in front of Howard University. And they moved it downtown to Constitution Avenue, which was a little strange because, you know, I think D.C. was always willing to let the Caribbean folks have their carnival as long as we had it in Uptown by Howard. But when we brought it downtown, well, let's just say that was the first and the last year that it happened downtown. <laughs> but everything was huge. The crowds were bigger because there was more space. The parks where you would go after the parade ended and the bands had finished playing mass and they marched down and everyone went inside of the park where it used to be in Banneker and Howard. This was some other place, I say in the, the Reagan Plaza and by the Wilson built building downtown. It was huge. But all these party flyers were just being scattered everywhere of all these different. And then all of a sudden we see people coming. It's Beanie Man there. It's T.O.K. there. It's Rupee there. And so many people are talking about going to all these different parties which party are you going to it doesn't matter all of them are live i take that to the point where then past dc carnival i see the momentum at, at the caribbean clubs shout out to crossroads which they just revived now in silver spring crossroads was jumping the entire summer and you would never see non-caribbean folks in crossroads until that summer and it was packed as people say as the Jamaicans and the Trinis and even Grenadians would say that Crossroads was packed with Yankee them all summer long because that's where the party was. It was because dancehall had crossed over to the point where everybody enjoyed the music. And we had always seen it before, you know, Shaba, you know, Supercat in the 90s, even to a certain point, Beanie Man and, and Bounty Killer, but not to the point where it was like, okay, now everyone enjoys this music because it has appeal everywhere. You know, so that's what the summer was like to me. And then to be able to hear it on the radio and then hear actual DJs, reggae DJs actually be featured on 93.9 and 95.5 on Saturday night to get people hyped up for the parties later on that night, doing full out reggae mixes. I know for 60 minutes, you know, unheard of in my mm -hmm. lifetime, you know, unheard of in my lifetime. So that's really what it was. What I want to talk about next is really like how we got there. And I like to say, I mentioned it before. I like to say it kind of started like in 98, you know, like right around 97, 98. And I say, you know, when when Beanie Man came out with Many Moods and Moses and he dropped Who Am I with Sim Sima. And, and then not too long after that, even though it had been out for a while, both Who Am I and um, then Tato Metro and Devante, Everyone Falls in Love. That was a song that I'd heard two years prior, but then it was just reaching America like in 1998, 1999. That's really started wetting people's appetite. Then Sean Paul dropped stage one, Deport Them and, and um, Infiltrate. And then he's on the Belly soundtrack, him and Mr. Vegas with DMX. So this starts to get the appetite up more and more. That to me, I would have to say, and I don't know if you agree with me, I think sort of started this trend before we got to the point where we're in like that period between 01 to 03, where it really ramped up. What are your recollections of that? Okay. So I believe I put a lot of thought to this, you know? Okay. Yeah. Because, you know, we, we refer, I think it's a consensus that the nineties was referred to as the, the golden era. Yes. Um, you know, if you had to pick a decade that was mm -hmm. like the peak for dancehall, it would be the nineties. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but when I'm looking at it a little bit more closely, you know, we know that stuff doesn't follow the calendar. Like the calendar is just what we look at to, mm -hmm. you know, pinpoint stuff. So right. when I actually look at the, you know, the amount of rhythms, the quality of rhythms that were coming out of Jamaica and then like the, the hot period, like the run, mm -hmm. you know, in my mind, it started in 1993. Okay. 
and it went until 2003. So it was kind of like a 10 Ten year, year. Mm-hmm. you know, like up and to the right on the graph like that. Okay. Got it. Okay. You understand? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Starting in 93, you know, 95, 96, it jumps up again. It mm-hmm. goes all the way up 98, 99, what you're talking about over mm-hmm. 2000, you know, it's like fully loaded and, you know, mm-hmm. certain things start happening, you know, stuff you mentioned, belly, you know, there was um a lot of other crossover, you know, no doubt was out mm-hmm. with their mm-hmm. rock steady album, mm-hmm. saying, which featured Lady Saw and Sean Paul. And I don't think that came out until 2004, but some of the singles and stuff, you know, you started to hear like earlier. Mm-hmm. Lady Saw had the song with vitamin C. I think that was like 99. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So you see there's some crossover records coming out. Mm-hmm. Also, the uh, the Wayne Wanda that was on the 50... 51st uh, States? 51st States. Adam yeah. Sandler and Drew Barrymore movie. Drew Barrymore, yeah. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? Wayne Wanda's song is on that. Um, yeah. So, you know, that song came out in, in 2002. Movie comes mm-hmm. out in 04. So mm-hmm. it's like everything kind of culminates around mm-hmm. that time. But I think the buildup began, you know, earlier in the in the 90s. In the 90s. Yeah. From a reference point, I think, you know, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I, I think when I was looking at it from a uh, from a teenage perspective, being very aware of the music, I think like in 93, I'm like, you know, 11, 12 years old. So, okay. you know, I'm aware of like the music and I'm aware of what my sisters and cousins are playing and being around. People are probably shouldn't have been hanging around at that time, but knowing what's happening, you know what I'm saying? As I say, not fully outside, but on the steps, you know what I mean? So right. that's that's really what was happening. So I would have to agree with you there. But the ascent, though, really from that period, I would say from 98 to 03 was an ascent that was that was massive. And so I can imagine for the people that actually were outside during that time to see that build from that period from 93 to 03, just how big that was. Because you could see, like, even with Beanie Man, when he really burst onto the American market, even just with that. But I was hearing those songs, like you said, two and three years before, and it was hitting the American market then. And then to be able to see some of them really start to grab onto it. As I like to say, when the cap came off of the bottle, to me, started, like, starting in that summer of 02. And that was when Sean Paul was starting to release singles for Dutty Rock and mm-hmm. that buzz rhythm drop with Give Me the Light, you know, yeah. which was a big, big thing that I'm thinking about right now as far as a reference point when I'm thinking about DC Carnival in the summer of 02, when that buzz rhythm rhythm drops and like then it's like, OK, wow, this is crazy. Then he drops a remix with Buster Rhymes. Right. So yep. another big crossover event that's happening right there. That summer of 02 then leads us into the fall of 02, which leads us into Dutty Rock coming out. Talk a little bit about, you know, and many people who, you know, whether you like him or not, when it comes to Dutty Rock and it being released, that to me, I thought is what led to in that period, what the mainstream explosion, that period from 93 to 03, really reaching its height to the point where it couldn't be denied. But talk a little bit about what Dutty Rock did in terms of reggae meeting that mainstream explosion where that adoption really, I guess, fastened in a sense. Yeah. You know, there's a few different angles I could um, talk about this on, you know, because during that time, I was not really plugged into the, you know, like I wasn't like media, you know, I wasn't like Mm -hmm. covering the genre, so to speak, you know, looking at the charts and stuff like that. I was in the clubs. Mm-hmm. So I was very connected to that pulse of dancehall. At the time, I was playing at the Duplex, which is um, in Bucket in, in Atlanta. And that was like, you know, many people that you you may ask, you know, what mm-hmm. was the like the height of the dancehall scene, you know, juggling and everything like that in, in Atlanta. You know, people will talk about that club <laughs> because, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, what I mean, it was like a, every Friday night yeah. packed with people, young, old, college, you know, older 21 over and it was ram and then we had you know other guest sounds and djs coming in there so the music that we were playing it wasn't like from albums so like when dutty rock came out you know i'm saying like i didn't have the album you know we Mm -hmm. had singles you know we had the singles from before the album came out and Mm -hmm. we would play them in the juggling in those in that format and then the other format where we would play is I think you touched on where you have a club with say like two floors or two rooms, you know, mm-hmm. you have the, the regular party room and then you have the reggae room. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we were that sound that was in the reggae room. Um, but sometimes we would be featured 
alongside the hip hop DJs where mm -hmm. it's just one room. So most of the night it's hip hop. And then, you know, at a certain point, you know, when everybody's there, now Highlander comes in and does the reggae set. Yeah. So during that reggae set, this is the most energy that is exchanged like the whole night. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. That little segment. And mm -hmm. in those scenarios, I'm not going to play the whole Diwali rhythm. I'm not going to mm -hmm. juggle the whole buzz rhythm or anything like that. I'm going to mm -hmm. take the hits, you know, yes. and I'm going to just blend all the hits together in mm -hmm. one crazy segment. So yeah. that's where you could really, obviously, if you're a DJ, you know what you're doing. You're going to play the, the hottest tunes. And of course. You know, at that time, it's, it's mm -hmm. those songs, you know, you might string in and throw in, you know, a, you know, a Sim Simma or a, uh, or a Red Rat, you know, which was out before that a lot of people will know, mm -hmm. you know, even like a Here Comes the Boom. But, mm -hmm. you know, it was those Sean Paul songs. You were like, you know, it was like at that time for hip hop, it was Jay-Z. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. yeah. The DJ would just play all the Jay-Z records back to back. Exactly. Right. The dance floor going crazy. Exactly. You know it's the same. It was like the same thing with Sean Paul at the time. Um, yeah. Now, you know, obviously, you know, as we see, he has sold what, 5 million copies and just broke all types of records. You know, Sean Paul is on commercials. He's on TV all the time. There's all these mm. videos. You know what I'm saying? He just took it to a, a level where it had never been before. I guess, you know, we could say it, it's never returned yeah, <laughs> as, right. as well. As well. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And to talk about that, <laughs> that energy. But transferred as well was also the, I would say, the advertising, I would say, in mass of Caribbean culture. What I'm talking about is that summer is the first summer. And again, it's my first summer outside, so it could have happened before, so I don't know. But that is the first time that I saw them actually advertising things like Kula Fets. You know what I'm saying? Like, everybody bring a Kula and you, okay, you're only allowed to have these type of things in the Kulas, but everybody bring your Kulas, your chair, your tent coming vibe you know what i'm saying that's when you saw like the fish fries with the limes all these different things that we did with which were normal in caribbean culture it was now being advertised to the masses for everybody to come out to come enjoy right as long as you knew the rules and you kept things cool and i feel like the music kind of played a part in the reason why that was because i think that everybody saw that listen everybody appreciates the music you know as long as you're cool and you don't cause no problems then you know hey we'll invite everyone so yeah. that that's a whole part of, I guess, of that that energy, I guess, sort of being transferred as well. So we talk a lot about rhythms. And I actually, for the TikTok that I did for the podcast, I went through when I did my review of Dutty Rock last year. I did a, one of all the familiar rhythms that people may have heard and what other songs were on that rhythm, like the other artists that they heard on that rhythm. So I went through all of them, went through the buzz rhythm and who else was on that? I went through the buyout rhythm, the liquid rhythm, the surprise rhythm, the Diwali rhythm. And as I'm going through it, I had a lot of people messaging me like, yeah, you know, I didn't know what the name of those instrumentals were. Like, you know, let's talk about those rhythms. Those are the rhythms actually that define that period. We've yeah. had obviously the 90s. We had some rhythms that really busted dance for a while. I mean, you all talk a lot about the Showtime rhythm. Yeah. Um, other ones, you know, obviously Swing Easy, one of my favorite ones. But these were like rhythms that really commercially, mainstream wise, really kind of just made an impact out there when it came to the party scene. Right. Um, yeah. The rhythms, you know, what's interesting about 2003, 2004. Okay? Mm. And when it comes to rhythms. Right. Because this is a transitional period. In 2001, mm -hmm. Pioneer released the first CDJs, mm -hmm. okay, which is, uh, you know, for people not familiar, music was released on CD prior to this, but mm -hmm. you had these little push button CD players that, you know, you would use to DJ if you mm -hmm. wanted to choose to play um, CDs at that time. It was mm -hmm. still predominantly vinyl that was being spun. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, and this is globally. Yeah. Um, once the CDJs came out, more DJs started to spin CDs because the CDJs kind of mimic a turntable mm -hmm. where you could play the CDs in that same fashion. Um, and then the following year, I think it was Newmark. I could be wrong, but the, a product called Final Scratch mm -hmm. yeah. was released. Final Scratch was a predecessor to um, Serato Scratch. Mm, okay. And Serato is still used to this day for, you know, most DJs uh, to spin MP3s. So mm -hmm. that whole conversion process actually started around this same time. Mm -hmm. So I mentioned that to, just to say that also, you know, like I said, the singles, it became more of a singles genre more than mm -hmm. a, a rhythms genre while this is happening because, you know, more music starts coming out in digital format 
less in analog, less on vinyl. Mm -hmm. um, and now you got big hit songs crossing over. Now, what happened is other DJs, hip hop DJs, DJs of other general, you know, types of music mm -hmm. can now access reggae hits. Yeah. So now you no longer need to know rhythms mm -hmm. and you no longer mm -hmm. need really to hire a reggae DJ to do a reggae set because you can just go and buy, you know, these hit reggae singles mm -hmm. and play them. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, there's a few things that happened around the same time that I think resulted in, um, in the rhythms kind of going away gradually. Mm -hmm. And why I think like after like 03, 04, even though the level of production and stuff that's coming out of Jamaica, it just kind of, it changed as stuff transitioned from the old school to the new digital ways of making music and mm -hmm. releasing music. And, you know, a yeah. lot of things kind of got lost in that process. I may, yeah. I may be going off topic here. Um, no, no, but you're <laughs> fine. But you're fine. You are. No, I mean, it speaks directly to that. That's part of the change, right? Yeah. I mean, those rhythms that were a part of that era is a part of what helping to change like you said, you didn't necessarily need to go out and get a reggae DJ if you wanted to spend some reggae hits. Like you said, it became very single based, not necessarily rhythm based. So right. and so a, a American DJ or a DJ not versed, well versed in reggae could then try his hand or her hand at spinning a reggae set with not really having the nuance of knowing the music and kind of feeling and calculating the energy, you know, which is something that I feel like a reggae, reggae DJ could do. And one not Velvers and Reggae DJ probably could not do, you know? Right, right. And I, I feel like all DJs have a feeling the energy of the, the crowd that you have, though. But I kind of feel as though when you know a genre of music and then you know the audience that you have there in front of you, it's sort of like knowing how to cook and understanding how to cook a certain type of food versus knowing how to cook generally, right? Right. <laughs> as I always like to say, there are people out there that can cook. <laughs> But there are a lot of people out there that don't know how to cook Caribbean food, right? I mean, yeah, so, it's a good analogy. You know, you could go Google up a recipe right. and put it together in your kitchen. Yes. But it's not the same as, you know, grandma and, them, exactly. you know, when they yeah. just, they don't have to measure. They just throwing it in there. Exactly. Right. The vibes, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly. Right, man. The curry chicken is not going to taste the same, right? <laughs> the peas is not going to be the same. To, I guess to sort of uh, transition a little bit into that and to, to your point about that, when it comes to when the rhythm started dying, Beanie Man actually came out and said something this week. I don't know if you saw it, where he said he's been very disappointed in a lot of the dance hall producers now, the reggae producers now, because they've gotten so far away from the rhythm culture. Right. He's like, you know, he said back then a producer would go and a rhythm and then you have. 10, 12 artists all on a rhythm and these juggling rhythms that we have that we don't have those anymore. And he oh. said, you know, so he said that's actually a detriment. He's like, you know, there are two DJs who mentioned them, uh, producers that he mentioned. One of them was Russian, you know what I'm saying? And said that that they're the ones who are sort of trying to keep that same tradition alive, but the genre has changed so much since then. And I can't help but to think that, you know, ever since things kind of shifted, I would say right around 2006, 7, 8, leading into like 09, 10, that you started seeing less of that and then more of this like digital way of making music and sort of like microwave mentality, I guess you could say, you know? So back then a producer was making a rhythm and did you have an artist in mind? Sure. But I think they were going more so for a vibe. And then if an artist forgot it, they jumped on a rhythm. If an artist felt like he could bust or she could bust the rhythm, they would jump on it. You know what I'm saying? And either it would, yeah. it would go over or it wouldn't go over. So that's the reason why, <laughs> you feel that some people, okay, you remember Beanie Man and Sizzla and Sean Paul and a buzz rhythm, but others you don't know, don't much as as, as others, you know? So, yeah, yeah. Now, I, I definitely get what it is that you're saying, and I think that is a part of it. There are a lot of artists that we've been that benefited the most during this run. We talked about Sean Paul. Who were some of the other artists you felt that benefited during that run right there leading into that era where things kind of really took off? Yeah, um, for sure. So, you know, you got to take the rhythms that I guess the other D Dutty Rock, you know, rhythms, mm -hmm. you know, if you want to call them that, right? So yeah. take Diwali, for example, and, mm -hmm. you know, the Sean Paul was the biggest song, but the Wayne Wonder song was also very big. Well, um, yeah. I'm sure, you know, I wasn't in New York at the time, but I'm sure, you know, Wayne Wonder was playing on Hot 97 as well. Yeah, I want to say, you know, that's pretty much considered a crossover song as well. Yes, absolutely. Um, and then, you know, the soundtrack hit that I mentioned, you know, on, on that big movie, you mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? So Wayne Wanda was one of those people. Bounty Killer, who was featured on the Diwali rhythm. 
also, uh, you know, featured on that No Doubt track. Uh, hey, was it called? Hey, baby. Hey, yeah, hey, baby. hey, yeah. Hey, baby. So, I mean, you know, they had, that's like a Grammy winning album from No yes. Doubt right there. Mm-hmm. It um, is, yeah. And the song with Lady Saw actually won a Grammy. Mm-hmm. Um, so Lady Saw, Bounty Killer, I think they performed on the Super Bowl. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? So Bounty was getting a lot of accolades around that time. Beanie, uh, I think he had like, when did King of the Dance Hall come out? Was it? That was, was like oh four oh five is when that came when that dropped, okay. right? Yeah. So you know what I'm saying. In between that period, he had that Art and Life album I think dropped in 2000, which won mm-hmm. him a Grammy. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So Beanie was kind of already kind of one of the big crossover people, um, mm-hmm. and those are the ones that I can really, yeah. you know, really think of off the top of my head. Yeah, I, I I'll say this. Um, Sizzla. You know, yes, yeah, absolutely. It didn't really cross all the way over, but the remix for um, Can't Keep a Good Man Down mm-hmm. with Bone Crusher, you know what I'm saying? Like, that was big, you know, that was getting played in hip hop parties all over the place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we had to collab with Foxy, you know what I'm saying, as well. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. All those names are great names. I think one of the biggest ones during that summer, and it continued on for a couple of years after that, was definitely Elephant Man. Right. When Elephant Man in 03, when, you know, obviously there's the, you know, um, Juke Gal, and, but but Pondy River was a big, big hit, you know. Yeah. That's actually one of the last videos I remember Bogle being in, as a matter of fact, you know, that, yeah. that Pondy River video. Um, but Elephant Man helped to bring an interesting aspect during that particular period. The dances, as you mentioned, you know, that period I remember as well for the dance crews really starting to come back in the dance and where you would have a group of guys sitting there and they would take the center of the floor doing some sort of dance and they would they they would have it for like 10, like like eight minutes, eight to 10 minutes. And then they go and they leave and then the next crew would come up and do their thing, <laughs> you know, but. It was the dances, though, the, you know, the Ponda Rivers, the Logons, the Onlines, the Signally Plains, all that stuff that became mainstream, you know? I mean, because, and it wasn't necessarily all the Elephant Man part of that, because I mean, everybody remembers during the uh, video version of Light Glue, them calling out the dances in that, in that bridge, you know what I'm saying? So that had a lot to do with it as well. But Elephant Man, man, having that and then having this with Juke Gal and then having the crossover with Twister. And mm-hmm. Young Bloods on the track with him, who at that time Twister was hot, just signed to Rockefeller. Young Bloods with Lil John and the East Side Boys and Crunk being big. That was big crossover right there. So Elephant Man had big crossover appeal. Yeah. One because he had the the look with him as well. You know, he had the hair and he, the and no, obviously energy god, you know, he his performance so energetic. Um yeah. His performances so were energy. energy, and so that appealed to a, a wide base of a, of a audiences. So you had that. There was also, I guess, what you had during this run. You also had the carryover and crossover effect of a lot of different artists that were doing Caribbean music. And so I like to say that there was sort of like some spillover there, right? Like reggae music was catching on there, but then there was also other types of music that were starting to catch on too. So you had the likes of like Rupee and Rupee had, you know, dropped tempted to touch in 2002, but it really bust in 2003. Yeah. Kevin Little from St. Vincent, you know, Rupee from Barbados, Kevin Little from St. Vincent, which is my wife's home Island. One of her home Island. She's half Vincentian, half Bayesian would turn me on in 2003, huge, huge crossover hit. And yeah. then to have a remix with Spraga on it, you know, so that really started to cross over, but then you saw other artists, the Soka artist started to get in on the, the act as well. You saw Allison Hines start to sort of emerge from those group of Soka artists that have been doing their things for years in the Caribbean. Denise Belfon starting mm-hmm. to rise to the to recognition. Mashell started to rise to recognition at that time. And then what it started to create was then, I think, a renewed energy and optimism within the Caribbean community, both there and also abroad. But then when the American folks got a hold of some of this music, like... With Tempted to Touch and with Turn Me On and even Wine and Ben Over and, and Roll It Gal, these type mm-hmm. of like songs, almost the spillover came to the rest of the Caribbean where it was like, oh, y'all got this type of music here in Jamaica, this reggae, what else y'all got, you know? Right. It's It was crazy. 
Yeah, it was one big happy party, man. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, also, you know, shouts out Mr. Vegas. You know, he was on that same uh, rhythm, oh, yeah. you know, with the Elephant Man uh, with Pull Up. Yes, um, yes, it's, yes, it's yes. starting to come back to me now. And then, you know, you had remixes, mm-hmm. you know, with the Sean Paul, uh, Bad Boy uh, mm-hmm. remix. And, you know, the uh, Beyonce on, you know, Panani rhythm and like all this yeah. stuff was just, you know what I'm saying? It was just like a nice... I'll use the word fusion. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And, um, and the remixes with the soca and the reggae artists, you know, like yeah. you were mentioning. Um, yeah. We actually had Kevin Little at Duplex uh, one of those years, you know what I'm saying? Like when that song was out. Wow. And, um, you know, that, I mean, it was it was crazy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like he didn't have to sing no song. Like, you know what I'm saying? He just sing the first part and then. Everybody well, else is singing the rest of it. Everybody's singing the rest of it. I mean, that's how that record was when you played it in the in the club too. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. Everybody's singing that out. That year, 2004, was the year that I uh, went to Japan mm-hmm. with Unity Sound. You know, we went out to Okinawa to, to perform at um, after party for Japan Reggae Fest, okay. and that was a whole different thing. You know what I'm saying? Because the first time I'm out there and um. You know, you got like a stadium with like 6,000 Japanese people mm-hmm. and it's all reggae music. You know, they got their own artists. You know, Mighty Crown is there, uh, mm-hmm. the sound system, other Japanese sounds. And, you know, they just rocking out to reggae music. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. the DJs, crowd control, have everybody, you know, doing all the, yeah. the moves and everything. And yeah, that, that was pretty eye opening. You know, you would see. Um, I, I mentioned at that time you have the digital conversion, mm-hmm. but in Japan, they were so into the music, they still had ca- um, cassette players in their cars because they mm-hmm. wanted to play the old school cassettes. Yeah. Um, they preferred to listen to the dance hall tunes, you know what I'm saying, on cassette. You know, you have mm-hmm. girls with like painting their nails with the Jamaica flag and oh, yeah. you know what I mean? Like come in with the full, like come in with, with knee pads, you know what I mean? And all that. Yeah. So they could dance. They had their own dancing crews and everything. Yeah. So it was it was definitely wild. And you know, they knew they knew the songs. They might not speak English. So <laughs> right. you know what I'm saying, like they'll sing out a different part of the song. You know, mm-hmm. like the, the part of the, with the harmonies, they'll just all sing that because they, they can't <laughs> follow yeah. along with the words, you know. But um, T.O.K. Mm-hmm. was big at that time as well. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, and Ward 21, you know, you mm-hmm. had those groups. Um, yes, yes, yes. It's got mo- more mm-hmm. memories just flooded back. Right they now. do. They come back, man. And another thing that I wanted to mention, another thing that I missed is that that the Wally Ritter man helped to give Lumi D her one and only hit that everybody oh, yeah. knows about, you know? Oh, yeah. And that was, and that was a really a variation of the Diwali rhythm. Cause that wasn't even like a pure, like straight over bringing the Diwali rhythm over. That was more so like a variation of what the Diwali rhythm was, but she had that uh oh song and it had a remix with Busta and yeah, Fabulous, Busta. you know what I'm saying? Oh, so oh, that yeah. was a great, great club record, man. Oh, yeah. My goodness. Like, yo, yeah, that, that was the record. <laughs> That was set the dance floor going. You know what I mean? All the girls mm-hmm. um, going crazy, and then um, Nina Sky followed up with you know with some fire as well. Yeah, um, move your body with that coolie dance rhythm with the same one with Juke Gal. Yeah, and pull up. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And the remix yeah. with, with with Vibes Cartel. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Wow. So yeah, that was vibes. But the the thing that you mentioned, the dancing. You know, we we can't like come off of here without just taking a second to to acknowledge how you know, that period, you know, it wasn't like Elephant Man was creating this stuff. This was mm-hmm. going on in the dance hall. For he a just long happened time. to be the one, yeah, to, you know, befriend the dancers and mm-hmm. make, you know, find out what they're doing and make up the song to it, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And at that time, things were so hot, like, it was just blowing up. <laughs> yeah. But from then, since then, you know, you have people going around the world, like, the whole world, Europe, Asia, mm-hmm. Africa, everywhere, creating, you know, like, dance schools and offering Mm -hmm. you know dance classes and stuff like that like it's a big thing you know till this day mixing it with workout programs in some cases you know what i'm saying in some cases it's just you know for the culture so people just latching on to dance hall and you know ever since then it's been a major thing yeah so that's really what followed afterwards we talked about moving into that oh four that 
period. You get into the fact Beanie Man would do that crossover with Shawana as well. You know, that was a big, big record in 2004. I remember that as well. But let's talk about what effect that summer 03, which really started, kind of started the whole thing, what it did. I always tell people the difference, there's a difference between reggae in the club and reggae in the dance, right? And to people who don't really understand, you know, <laughs> don't won't really won't like look at what do you talk what's the difference between being in the club maybe like there's a difference between the club and the dance right so as a selector from your perspective what did the effect of all that period what effect did it have on the club what effect did it have on the dance um so yeah on in the club you know reggae became a part of the selection you know what i'm saying for a time mm-hmm. being you know there was a time before like i was in the south a like it, it would be like you know a lot of parties would be a hundred percent you know atlanta music mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> you know what i'm saying what they call trap music now you know more and more parties started to have where yeah whoever is spinning would sprinkle in some of these other records and people started to you know what i'm saying like appreciate it i think that was the effect on like the mainstream club you know mm. new p- places like new york you know where there's a heavy Caribbean crowd, you know, maybe um, you could speak on how it was in DC, mm-hmm. you know, places like Toronto, you know what I mean? Like you're getting a lot of reggae in the joint. <laughs> you know yeah, what I'm saying? A lot. Reggae, yeah. reggae and soca, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like that, that was the time for that. Even around the world, um, you know, I've heard selectors, you know, in Europe as well, places like Germany, Italy, um, England is always like a, a big reggae hub. So I'm not even going to yeah. include England. I'm talking like Western Europe, Poland, and you know, places mm-hmm. that you wouldn't think of where they have like reggae nights, you know what I'm saying, in big clubs where people are, you know, and also, you know, they're flying artists out there to perform and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all of that really was at its peak, just at, at its height at this time. You mm-hmm. know, yeah. every artist that we listed who is able to, that we've already mentioned, who's able to fly was going mm-hmm. somewhere. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. you know what I mean, they were mm-hmm. coming to a town, a city near you for big, big shows. I think at that time, the club, in terms of just promoting reggae stuff, just everywhere outside of Jamaica, you know, I think that's where the biggest crowds were being drawn, like during this time. I don't think it it really surpassed that. It may, you know, it didn't die in it like immediately. So I think Mm -hmm. it carried over, you know, for several years after that. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, it was kind of like a gradual drop off to where we are now. Yeah. Um, in the dance hall, you know, things just rolled on um, at, you know, business as usual. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. The Wally rhythm was a big rhythm for that year. You know, like we mentioned, you know, the buzz and the surprise and all that. Mm-hmm. But um, one thing that happened in dance hall is starting in 2004 with the advent of the dancing, this uh, jiggy period began. Mm-hmm. Jiggy time again. Buddy, buddy. Yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And all the music got really, really fast in dance hall, the same tempo as the the Cooley, Cooley Gal rhythm, mm-hmm. 120 yeah. BPMs. Everything BPMs, was coming yeah. out at like 120 BPMs or faster. Mm-hmm. And if you're not like a music head and like that, when I, when I say 120 BPMs, think, mm-hmm. you know, 80s dance, you think disco or like, right. you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I get it, I get it. Yeah, think yeah, Michael yeah. Jackson, PYT, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, that really fast, fast. That fast. yeah exactly. <laughs> right really fast so like you're not just you know what i'm saying jerry springer you know it's not right <laughs> even yeah. ponda river ponda bank is around 100 bpms it's that perfect danceable mm-hmm. thing for everyone but mm-hmm. it got so fast that you had to be like a professional dancer you had to be like yeah. young and nimble and like yes. willing to get sweaty mm-hmm. yeah like exactly exactly <laughs> And that was like what was coming out 90, um, 2004, 2005. And, you know, that combined with a reduction in num- the sheer number of rhythms coming out of Jamaica. And then I feel like, again, like I mentioned, the quality of music and rhythms started to go down. You know, it started to not be as fun anymore because a lot of people were coming to parties and they wanted to hear stuff they could dance to. So you end up playing the older stuff even though time is moving forward. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of like a, you know, kind of threw things off. And the final thing that I'll mention that kind of threw things off in my experience in the dance hall 
mm-hmm. was, you know, the beloved vinyl that we grew up on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Finally, you know, kind of went away. And, went you away. Know, yeah. You had to just give it up and convert to CDs, convert to MP3s. And, you know, some people talk about the quality of the sound of the music not sounding the same no, no more. And, yeah. Um, other thing that happened in the club and DJ and dance hall as well, a lot more people started to build the sound systems and started to become DJs because, mm-hmm. hey, you could go buy all these CDs mm-hmm. or download all this music and now you're a <laughs> DJ. So now yeah. yeah, promoters can just hire like this guy for free yeah, wants to play because he has music, mm-hmm. and you know the like experienced selectors who you know know what to what to do and how to handle the party. You know, mm-hmm. started to not be hired as much. So you know, mm-hmm. you got people that love the music, heard about it. Yeah, let's go to the club. Oh, yeah. it's not that good. Maybe yeah. we don't come back. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whereas before there was a barrier to entry, so there was like quality control when it came to that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Some places you would go, it was like McDonald's. You knew what you were gonna get, and mm-hmm. you got what you you know you were satisfied because you knew what you what to expect, and you got what you were expecting. It was quality. Yeah. Um, I think all that started to change as we go to the later part of the 2010s. So yeah, you know what I'm saying yeah, man, definitely the dance, especially here in the spots that I used to frequent. I noticed it started to take a turn right after that period. And I really wasn't liking what I saw. You know, it was eventually I went to the places where I knew that the selectors were going to be playing the good stuff. You know what I'm saying? The classics. And it got to a point now where we're at the point where that stuff back in 03 are now classics, right? They're considered to be classics now. You know, that's old school music. For hardcore reggae fans, what did the aftermath of that period do? You kind of mentioned it there, but let's kind of go for fringe reggae fans, right? Which is really what this big thing was about, the crossover. How big of an effect did that have on the fringe reggae fans afterwards? And how big of a role did that play to the wave that we see now with sort of Afro pop and Afro beats and like this new wave of like that being like almost to where now it's at the point where reggae music was back then in 03. Like how big of what was that wave then to this wave that you see now? I mean, that's a good question. You know, we might've had to uh, have a fringe reggae uh, <laughs> listener <laughs> on the panel with us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to yeah. really get, you know what I'm saying? Like a, a firsthand account of um, what that experience was like, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, I could think that at, at that point in 2003, it was it felt very inclusive you know what i'm saying it felt like hey i don't really know what this is but it seems cool you know what i'm saying it's approachable it's danceable mm-hmm. it seems fun you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. so let's let's do it you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. no let's tolerate it you know what i'm saying it's not it's not bad you know even if you're not into reggae you know what i'm yeah. saying it's like another segment in the club yeah um another song that i could bob my head to sit my whatever i'm drinking on yeah and mm-hmm. or maybe get my dance on hey you know what i'm saying it seems fun and then i feel like for fringe reggae fans that didn't really jump in and grab a hold of it if you continue into you know go to clubs and parties and stuff like that you just hear less of it mm-hmm. um and then you stop hearing it i think that that's really you know i don't know Mm. What 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 else it could be right yeah <laughs> you know what what else? i right. used to i used to hear it on the radio but but I don't, I don't hear it anymore. Anymore, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean. So now you mentioned the Afrobeat. I think the Afrobeat is now right at that place where, hey, I don't know what they're saying, <laughs> but you know, it sounds really cool. It mm-hmm. seems like you know, it, it it's sexy as tropical. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll rock with it. You know, if you play it, you yeah. know, take it or leave it. It's getting played, and um, and it's not bad. You know what I'm yeah. saying. It's not going to break your vibe. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? It's kind yeah. of, um, it's carefree. It's not talking about drugs and guns and stuff like yeah. that. All the hip hop is <laughs> talking yeah. about, it's not talking about suicide or <laughs> being mm. depressed like the pop right. music. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Right. Yeah. So, I mean, so they're winning right now and they're using yeah. a lot of the formula. I think mm-hmm. a lot of them were inspired, you know, by the same the Bujus and Capletons and, you know, all that from the reggae, yeah. the dance hall in the 90s and the 80s. Yeah. So they're taking the same winning formula and um, and it's working. 
Yeah, I, I saw this coming probably like around four. I first saw it coming like maybe like five, six years ago. Uh, I was I'd say maybe six, seven years ago when I first really found out about Wiz, Wizkid and uh, and Devito. You know, and it was just like, whoa, this sounds very reg, almost reggae like, right? Like, yeah, it was sounding more so like what I was hearing from like from the cartels and from Adonias and from the uh, the Mavados and. I was hearing that type of music, like what the new style of dance hall was evolving to. Right. But but it was it was this like just this thing to it. And I'm just like, yo, these guys studied this music. You know what I'm saying? Like and at the base of it is still African. Right. Like what Afrobeats was based on the Afrobeat music that Phila helped to to make, uh, you know, a revolutionary. Right. And the base yeah. is still elements there. But that reggae influence is undeniable in that. You could see that, man. And yeah. they're capitalizing off of it right now. You know, they're sort of taking that same playbook of what was done 20 years ago and they're applying it right now in their genre. So, right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, any music that lasts over time, mm-hmm. it has to be uh, partner dance driven music. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, when you think of stuff that people are still making and listening to and dancing to now, you know, salsa, merengue, you know, compa, you know, these things that come from where it's like, yo, me and my lady, you know what I'm saying? Or me and my single dudes, we could go find ladies mm-hmm. and bring them to the dance floor. And that's the, that's essentially, that's all people want. That's all they you know want, man. They, yeah. I mean, that's not, you know, all they want. The music can be a lot of things, you know, mm-hmm. and I talk about that, you know, play different types of music as well, different types of even reggae. You know, mm-hmm. you got your roots and your this and your that. Even that music, you would it's a lot slower BPMs and tempo. But you know what I'm saying? At the end of the day, you want to be able to, you know, get close to somebody and, and hold them. Exactly. And yeah. step with them. <laughs> yeah. I mean? Yeah. So Indeed. that's where Afrobeats is right now. It's very mm-hmm. light. It's very fun. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what that's what people need. True. So I like to say final verdict on here a lot. So final verdict, this reggae red hot summer of 03, this period that surrounded it before and afterwards, that whole period, did it hurt dance hall or did it help it? Did it hinder it or did it help it? What, what's your final verdict on that? I don't think it hurt. You know, I think it, it helped. I think it was, again, the peak of what began about 10 years prior. And maybe some would say it started before that you know, in in maybe in the late eighties, I don't know, but Mm -hmm. I would say, you know, again, I'm sticking to it. 93 Mm -hmm. to 2003. Yeah. um, It was going up and to the right. Mm -hmm. And then after that it leveled off and then, you know, it started to gradually come Mm -hmm. on back down. And, um, and that's where we are right now. Revelations. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, a lot of things popped off. A lot of opportunities were created. You know, Mm -hmm. Jamaica was put on the map. In terms of time, you know, the music being timeless, I think stuff like, um, you know, in terms of party music, mm-hmm. there's a lot of good party music still from that era. For a while, I, I was sick of it. I was sick to my stomach. I didn't want to hear Diwali or Buzz <laughs> or Buyout or any of that stuff because I had to play it like every night. Every night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Every night, <laughs> week after week. And I just got tired of, of hearing it. You know what I mean? Personally. Yeah. But but I understand, you know, that once a hit, always a hit. Mm-hmm. So, you know what I'm saying? If you're doing a party now, you're having people over the barbecue um this summer. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Some of those joints are gonna be on the playlist. It's Absolutely. Just, it's gonna be there and it's always gonna be there. <laughs> always, always is gonna be there, man. It's crazy that I think that that summer was 20 years ago. Crazy, but you know, nonetheless, yeah. Yeah, it's just like I'm watching TV um, the other night, and of course the Sandals commercial comes on, Sandals Caribbean, yeah, and what is the song? Don't worry, be happy. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's Bob. Yeah. I'm still watching TV. Immediately after that commercial ends, my mind is like blown because it was almost like a DJ was like mixing, and the same beat continues. And now it's an ADT commercial using the same Bob Marley song. Yeah, Three Little Birds. <laughs> the same song, yeah. 2023. Two yeah. different, you know, major advertisers. It's mm. probably like primetime television. Oh, yeah. 
and Bob Miley, you know? Yeah, man. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Timeless music. Timeless music doesn't matter how old it will live on forever, as Bob Marley and many other greats of the reggae genre have taught us for years and years to come, man. So yeah, man. shouts out yeah. to Shaggy. Never we never mentioned Shaggy. Shaggy. Because yes. you know, he had like from ninety-nine till now, he's he's been killing it. Yes, he has been. And um, to the point where uh, Shaggy has one of those artists who crossed over, but still at his heart is still a very big ambassador for reggae and music and dance hall music, you know, really has done amazing work over these last 20, 25. I've been listening to Shaggy's music for 30 years now, you know, so that just shows you how long that brother has been out in the game and he has been producing hit music for a long time, still out here doing it, man. So so many of our reggae heroes, the dancehall heroes from the 90s, are still out here putting out great music. But shouts out to Damian Marley. Yes. Also, mm-hmm. uh, welcome to Jamrock was 2005. Yes. Right? And that yes. was a, a major thing. And him, he, uh, and all the other, Stephen, you know, the Marley family, they just been Imani, doing it. Yeah. They've been it. doing it so consistently, you know, for a long time. But I don't, I don't understand why more people aren't. Mm-hmm following them you know what i'm saying going to seeking them out and like, yeah. you know what i'm saying follow just do what they're doing cling to them because yeah. you know what i'm saying yeah i mean they got it how many grammys since then i mean they countless continue, continue countless to dominate man yeah and all the way down now to the third and fourth generations with skip you know it's it's uh it's crazy man <laughs> how that family's legacy is endured in music has done so now for now three and four generations. So, um, and it will continue to go long after that, man. So yeah, shout out to all those artists out there who did those things and in those eras and, um, and shout out to everybody who during that time took the time to really get a chance to know the genre, at least gave it a shot, you know, because I know before when I was in elementary school, there was a time where people, Americans didn't like reggae music. You know what I'm saying? Even with Shabba Ranks and, and with Supercat, you know what I'm saying? That was probably a little bit too hardcore for them, but right. some of them gave this stuff a chance. So shout out to them who definitely decided to give it a shot. And, you know, some of them are still listening to casual reggae listeners today. You know, they're not going to go and, uh, and tune into your online radio station, but they'll party when their jam comes on. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> yeah. So, Khalil, man, appreciate you joining us. Just want to give you a chance to let the folks know what you're doing, where they can find you on social media, and um, just promote the podcast as well. We don't regularly have a pod is still out there. The 10 seasons you guys had. Anything in particular, any episodes you want to plug, feel free to go ahead and do that now. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me, you know, Vault Classics. Love the show. Love what you're doing. You know, all the listeners, please check out the Reggae Lover podcast. You can visit ReggaeLover.com. Um, we're on all podcast platforms, including YouTube, SoundCloud as well. And on Instagram, it's at Reggae Lover Podcast. On Twitter, at Reggae Lover Pod. I'm saying hit us up. Yeah, you got hundreds of episodes in the archives there to go through music mixes as well as discussions, you know what I'm saying, featuring myself you know brian cox many other people um touching on a lot of topics so definitely check it out lots of great guests on there i was listening to the episode while she fired the other day steve urchin wilson um lots of great interviews on there lots of good interviews with influencers on there carrie ann reed brown shout out to her from breadfruit media so make sure y'all go check that out khalil as always blessings and respects i appreciate you for coming on and being with us and kicking it yeah man it was fun salute All right. Until next time. And there you have it. We want to thank our brother Khalil Wonder again from Reggae Lover Podcast and Highlander Sound System for again joining us on this discussion of reggae music back in 03 and 04. A very nuanced discussion and lots of great memories back then. We know that you guys are kicking summer off into full gear and know that you will have plenty of those classics we talked about and many more and queue for your playlist for your cookouts and barbecues coming up. So make sure y'all keep those in queue and party to them. Let us know what you think. What are your memories of the reggae summer of 03, that period that we talked about, specifically from 03 to 04? What do you remember about the genre at that time? Were you a hardcore fan? You were a French fan? What were some of your favorite songs and artists during that time? If you were partying and out, let us know what the atmosphere was like during that time. Reminisce a little bit for us. Hit us up on social media. Let's talk about it. What was that reggae summer of 03 like for you if you remember and were outside? We'd love to continue the conversation. And that is going to wrap up yet another edition of The Vault. 
please make sure you are visiting us at vaultclassicpod.com. That's vaultclassicpod.com. There you can learn more about the show, check out our past episodes, join our mailing list, leave a review, or if so inclined, you can leave us a voice note. Click the blue microphone in the bottom right-hand corner to leave us a voice note to let us know what you think about the show or to just show us some love. To support the show, click the coffee cup shaded in yellow in the bottom left-hand corner to access our Buy Me A Coffee page. On Buy Me A Coffee, you can give a small monetary donation to support the show to ensure that we can keep the vault open for many years to come. You can also visit us on social media at Vault Classic Pod on IG, Twitter, and on TikTok. Also hit us on YouTube and our Facebook page. Like and follow us on social media. Subscribe to the pod and the YouTube channel. We do it here all for you. We appreciate the support. And if you have a friend, tell a friend and make sure that that friend tells a friend. Always remember to keep your headphones on and your music loud, but not too loud. And as we close, we like to remind everyone to dream big because dreams are the basis for creation. Always create, motivate and elevate. Because you were never destined or created to stay stationary or ordinary in this life. And on that note, we say peace. Thank you for listening and coming into The Vault. Please subscribe and visit us at vaultclassicpod.com. That's vaultclassicpod.com. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.